Welcome to the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I am the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 26 and is from the service for February 18th, 2024. The scripture lesson is Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 15 and the sermon is entitled, Knowing What You're Getting Yourself Into. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson for tonight comes from the first chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, verses 9 through 15. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in the Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Right away as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit coming down like a dove onto him. Then a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. I'm delighted in you. Right away, the Spirit kicked him out into the wildland, and he was in the wildland for 40 days, being put on trial by Satan. He was also with the wild animals, and the angels waited upon him. After John was arrested, Jesus went into the Galilee, preaching the good news of God. The moment has come, and God's kingdom has drawn near. Repent and trust in the good news. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the first Sunday in Lent. It is a season of preparation. It is a season of fasting, of prayer. It is a season of anticipation for the coming Easter celebration. And because it's a time of fasting, preparation, and prayer, we usually read the story of Jesus preparing, fasting, and praying to kind of kick the whole thing off. First, we read the baptism of Jesus, which you may remember we read only four or five weeks ago. It's that time of year when a lot of this stuff feels like we go through it more than once. And then we read of Jesus's temptation. Now, this year is year B in the lectionary calendar, which means that we are predominantly in the Gospel of Mark. And if you noticed, Mark doesn't put a lot of details into Jesus's temptation story. In fact, the things that we're expecting to find, him hungry and thirsty and being tempted by Satan, Satan who comes along and says, oh, well, hey, you know, you're the son of God, just turn one of these stones into bread. And Jesus retorts, man shall not live by bread alone. And then Satan tempts him by saying, why don't you throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple? It's a strange temptation, but he does. He says, you know, because the angels will pick you up. They, no, they won't let you hit, you know, even break your foot or on a stone. Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then he is tempted with visions of power and glory. If only he will worship Satan. Jesus says, worship God alone. None of that is in Mark. 
right? None of that. It just simply says he was put on trial by Satan and then mentions that he's out there with the wild animals and the angels, which fact has led some scholars to conclude that the passage is actually more about the wild animals than it is about the temptation. That is, they see the wild animals as a sign of either peril in the wilderness or as a foretaste of the, of the peaceable kingdom, right? Where the lion and the lamb and the wolf all lie down and, you know, everybody, everyone gets along and children aren't bitten by snakes and all of that. That some have seen that as, as, a, as a glimpse that Jesus is out what would normally be in a circumstance of dangerous with wild animals, but is instead ministered to by angels and with and among the wild animals. But then we transition to Jesus proclaiming God's kingdom. The moment has come, he says, the, the kairos, the moment that the time has come and the kingdom of God, God's kingdom is near. The Greek says it's at hand. So it's right, almost within reach. Repent, turn your lives around, and trust in this good news. That's Jesus's message to start the gospel story off. So it's not as much about his temptation and fasting and prayer as we would find in Mark and in Luke. Instead, we get this little vignette of him. Well, it says he was tempted. Doesn't really say what it was like. But then we get the transition to preaching the gospel. And I want to focus on four English words, or six Greek words, that begin the final paragraph. It says, after John was arrested. Now, there are no real extraneous details in the New Testament. The, I've mentioned this before, the gospel and the biblical authors do not fill up their writing with color. That is, they don't, they don't describe what people are wearing, they don't describe their hairstyles, they don't describe the weather, unless that detail is relevant. Otherwise, the text is very, very sparse. It is, doesn't include anything that might be considered mood elements, right? There's nothing just to kind of establish the mood and get into the scene. It just tells us he went here, he did this. Doesn't say what the synagogue looked like, didn't say how many people were there. It doesn't say any of the details that we don't need to know. So here, it's interesting that the transition from Jesus's had their time in the wilderness to the beginning of his ministry is led by the words after John was arrested. What this means is that Jesus begins his ministry after he has seen what it has cost John. Now, this is another function of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all portray Jesus's ministry as beginning in this fashion. In John's Gospel, they, they John and Jesus overlap in their ministries. 
But in the Synoptic Gospels, and clearly here in Mark, Jesus only begins his ministry once John has been arrested. And actually, the Greek word is handed over, right? betrayed, handed over. He is handed over, he is arrested, and that is the moment that Jesus begins. So there's a lot of people who may tell you that Christian faith is self-help strategy. They may tell you that it's a way to receive blessing, right? And what they usually mean by that is material blessing, money, or other kinds of wealth. And that if you, you do it right and you say the right prayers, and if you give to our TV ministry, you will be blessed by God with your own wealth and your own well-being. I'm not going to name any names. I think we all know the preacher uh, who exemplifies this, and his name uh, rhymes with old Justine. But <laughs> Jesus makes it clear. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's getting himself into. And he knows that it could cost him everything. In fact, the language of John being arrested, John being handed over, is the exact same language that Jesus will employ when he explains to his disciples that the Son of Man will be handed over, when he himself is later than handed over to the Roman authorities to be interrogated and mocked and scourged and crucified. He knows from the very beginning what this is going to cost him. There's no bait and switch here with Jesus's ministry. He didn't get into it thinking he was going to wind up king of Israel the way that the devil was enticing him to be. He knew because he had seen it happen to John. Now, Mark's gospel is likely written to an audience of of Christians in the city of Rome in the mid-60s of the, of the first century. That tends to be the scholarly consensus about the dating and the location of Mark's gospel. Some other people place it in Alexandria or in Antioch and places like that, but there are a lot of arguments that Mark seems to have been written likely to a Roman Jewish Christian audience. Mark uses more Latin words in his gospel than the other authors do. He has to explain Palestinian geography, and he himself kind of make, makes some mistakes with Palestinian geography at times, but he has to explain a lot of the Aramaic that Jesus and his disciples use. And one of the reasons that people, that scholars believe that Jesus wrote, or sorry, that Mark wrote this gospel for a Roman audience in the 60s was because that community would have been undergoing the very first persecutions under Nero and under Roman power that would only continue throughout the next couple of centuries. And in the ancient world, there were many who viewed religion as a kind of self-help mechanism. They viewed it as a kind of divine bargain. I will offer you the sacrifice. You will give me good business today, right? I will offer you the sacrifice or I will you know, go to this temple and my voyage will be safe, right? I will do this, 
I will do that, and you will in turn do something for me. That was how religion in the ancient world was supposed to work. And so you can imagine these early Christians in Rome being persecuted by Nero, being blamed for the fire of Rome that they had nothing to do without do with and had everything to do with Nero wanting to clear a path for a palace, and thinking, what are we doing wrong that we're suffering instead of prospering? And Mark's gospel appears to be written to say, no, this is what it is. This is what you signed up for. Because this is what Jesus went through. The task of being a disciple is in following our master, the Messiah. And what did the Messiah do but risk everything, put everything on the line from the beginning? And what does he call us to do but to follow? It's why this gospel is full of statements like, but the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And whoever would be greatest among you must be least of all and servant of all. It's why the message time and time again is take up your cross and follow me, not prepare for glory and triumph and victory. Jesus is letting us know at the very beginning that he understands what this is going to cost him. So Mark includes that detail, not just to show us that Jesus knew what he was getting himself into, but to remind us that we ought to as well. That the gospel is not a good luck charm. It is not a talisman. It is not a quick a get rich, quick scheme or a become your better you scheme. It's a way of living and a way of following our master into witnessing to God's purposes, even when it may cost us everything. That was the lesson the early church learned and understood, was that the, the road was not an easy road. It would often alienate us from the rest of the world. It means that we are no longer comfortable witnessing injustice and not doing something about it. We're no longer comfortable witnessing suffering and assuming, well, that person must have done something to deserve it. We're no longer comfortable seeing people marginalized and not being reminded that we're supposed to be the ones inviting them in, even if it makes us unpopular, even if it makes us scorned and mocked and ridiculed, all of it, that's the deal. That's what we're getting ourselves into. It's one of the reasons why Jesus himself says many are called, but few are chosen. It's a lot. And when he speaks to the rich young ruler who asks him what he must do to earn eternal life, and he says, well, you know the commandments. And the young man says, well, I've done all those. And he goes, great. Now here's the advanced course. Give away everything you have and follow me. And the man can't bring himself to do it. Because discipleship is costly. The grace is free. It's the discipleship that costs. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was trying to impress upon his fellow Christians who thought 
that merely by virtue of being able to claim the name Christian, that they had somehow done everything that was required of them. And while he said, your salvation is taken care of, yes, but your identity, your life as a Christian requires something of you. It requires sacrifice. It requires witness. It requires putting yourself at risk for what is right. That's what you're getting yourself into. So this little vignette, those four little English words or the six little Greek words that introduced that after John was arrested are meant to remind us that the way of discipleship isn't always easy, but it is the way of Christ and the way that Christ beckons us to follow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you.